0: Have you ever noticed how in popular culture being young and being beautiful is far more valued than being old and being wise? So as a whole, popular culture tends to disregard and even ostracize those who are aged. I mean, if you just think about it for a moment, Nearly everyone that you see on TV or in the movies or in magazines, they're all young. Actually, no, some aren't young, but they're young looking. They're all attractive, they're all beautiful, and we want to live that way. And so we live in a world where every year billions of dollars are spent on things like Botox, so that we don't have any wrinkles on our foreheads. And we spend billions on plastic surgery and on different cosmetics that are all aimed at one thing look young, feel vibrant. And our, in our world, the notion of aging gracefully is not valued, that is not a virtue. We do everything that we can to stay young. Why? Why do we hate aging? Well, I can tell you at at its root, the deep reason why is that God did not create us to grow old. When God created the world originally, there was no aging. There was no sickness. There was no death. We were made to live forever in the presence of God, enjoying Him, enjoying each other with harmony and being at work in the world for His glory, to make Him known to all nations. The world was not designed to have disease or old age or death. And so it is actually unnatural. We were not originally made to have bodies break down and then decease. And so it is part of the fall, part of the curse, that old age even exists. When you're in heaven, if you're a believer, you will never grow old. You will never have your body break down and you will never die. But on this side of the resurrection, living in this world under the sun, as we have been looking in Ecclesiastes for the last few months, we are in a broken, corrupted, cursed world by sin and death. And so now old age is a reality. And every one of us, if we're honest, hate it. We don't want to grow old because we know the older we get, the closer we are to the end. And so my children are very good at pointing out my gray hair. Hey, Daddy, your hair is getting gray. It's like, Hey, Bonnie, can I spank them for that? Like, is, is, that, is that a discipline-worthy offense? Well, the answer, of course, is no, because they're right. I am getting gray. And the older I get, the more I come to grips with that the end is coming. And we hate and we fear death. So because we fear death, We want to stay young and look young and not get older because we all want to desperately escape death. We do. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we can't. We can't escape old age. We can't escape sickness. We can't escape pain. And we cannot escape death. All of us will die. And Ecclesiastes describes that in this broken, corrupted world, this can make life seem pointless. It can seem meaningless. It says, vanity of vanity. Everything under the sun is just vanity. It's meaningless. He says, think, you're born, you grow, you try to find happiness, you struggle, and then you die. And it can make the whole thing called life seem pointless. He says, vanity, all is vanity. And throughout this preaching series, we have been asking the question, is it all meaningless? The answer is yes, it is. Without Jesus, everything is meaningless. Ecclesiastes describes the reality of what life will look like if you don't have God. If Jesus is not at the center of your life, your thoughts, desires, aspirations, actions, words, if Jesus is not at the center of everything, then life begins to seem and really be meaningless. But with Jesus at the center, our lives have hope. We have eternal hope purpose. Yes, we will still struggle. No one's denying that. Yes, we will still grow old and eventually die. But between birth and death, this thing called life has purpose and value and meaning and can be filled with true joy and hope because of Jesus. And it makes life worth living and not meaningless anymore. And then when we do die, we have the hope of the resurrection. We will rise and we will have our gaze transfixed on the face of Jesus. And that is our hope. That is what helps us to get up in the morning and face life, with all of his challenges, with real joy and meaning. Through the power of his spirit, as the word guides us in community, we can live purpose-filled lives with souls that really are at peace and are satisfied, and we can even face things like old age and dying. Let me read to you out Ecclesiastes 11. Today, we're going to be in chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12. We'll finish the series next week. Let me read to you 11 verse 8. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, But let him remember that the day of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So we're told to rejoice in our years. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what you want? To rejoice for your many years, to grow old, and the whole time you're living life for many years, you're rejoicing. You have real joy and hope. And we're made to live this way. We're made to rejoice for our many years. But the reality is that this world is broken. So he calls old age, he says, the days of darkness. So the days of growing old and ultimately dying, he calls dark, and he says, vanity. And so here's the theme that we're seeing here, is aging is meaningless without Jesus. Aging itself, growing old, will be meaningless if you don't have Christ. And yet, Jesus gives us purpose-filled aging. He can give us this true purpose-filled aging. So here is the main idea from this text. So the primary truth that will govern everything that we'll look at from this text is that God calls us to be satisfied in him while we face aging and death. So we are called to have our souls satisfied in him even in the face of growing old, and yes, in the end, even of dying. So this is the main idea. Now, some of you in the room are young. Now, young is relative because if you talk to a child, I'm already old, but if you talk to someone older than me, then they'll say that I'm young. So, I mean, that is very a relative term. But I'm going to talk to, like, our teenagers or maybe in your early 20s, people that we can all agree, yes, that person is young. Those of you that are teenagers or early 20s, you have the time and you have all the possibilities and decisions and, and dreams and life goals, they're all in front of you. And so likely when you think about life, if you're, if you're young, you'd never think about growing old. If you're a teenager, likely it's never even crossed your mind that one day you'll be like your grandfather and actually be old. You don't think about that. It's normal. But as you get older, you begin to realize a lot of those things are no longer in front of you. You look back and say, whoa, what if you're actually behind me already? And you have to hear this if you are young today. Time is fleeting. Hear me. Time is fleeting. Life moves fast. It's amazing how, before you know it, you have finished your studies. Before you know it, you're launching a career. You're getting married. And you're having kids. And it's so busy that some days feels like just a race to get up and then get the kids in bed at night. And it's so fast. And busy but then you wake up one day you look in the mirror or, or you see the gray coming in and it just it kind of hits you like oh man I'm getting old like I, I'm getting older and it just happens so quickly And old age to you may seem so far away it's not it's not as far as you think and God is calling you At any age, to consider how you are living. Stop and consider how you are living your life. Don't live your life for brief pleasures under the sun because they will not satisfy, they will disappoint you and leave you enslaved. So this text is just crying out: don't waste your life. You only get one. Don't waste it. On the things of this world that will leave you empty, will not satisfy, and that are not glorifying to God. Do not waste it on self focused agendas. Don't do that. God calls us to be satisfied in Him even while we face the reality of aging and death. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, I want that. I want to live with the soul. That is satisfied in in Christ. I I don't want to waste my youth or my strength. I don't want to waste it. I want to glorify God as I grow older. I I do. Maybe you already are older. And you say, well, I don't want to waste the time that I have remaining. However long God allows that to be. May we together as one people exclaim, I don't want to waste my life. I will not do that. But maybe you have a question on, okay, I don't want to waste my life, but how? How do I live my life like that? How do I do it? How do I live my life in a way that really is soul-satisfying for the glory of God, even in the face of old age and dying? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 give us three conditions Three conditions. Now when I said there's three conditions, I want you to think about this as conditions describe being required elements to accomplish desired end. So required elements that you have to have to get the end that you actually want. the conditions. Let me give you the example of using fire. So if the the end is fire, you want a campfire. You want to go out to the desert and do a bash and then then start a fire and eat roasted marshmallows. And so if you want that end, you want the fire, there have to be some conditions that have to be in place. No conditions that are correct, no fire. So first, you have to have a spark. You have to have heat. If you don't have spark, you're not going to have a fire. But secondly, you have to have oxygen. If you don't have oxygen, you're not going to have a fire. Thirdly, you have to have fuel. So if you have all three, if you have a spark and oxygen and fuel, all of those together, naturally you're going to get a fire. Conditions are right, a fire naturally breaks out. Conditions are not right, you're missing one of those, no fire. Have to have them. You can't fake it, can't manufacture it, either they're there or they're not. All three are there, you have a fire. One's missing or two or three are missing, no fire. It's real or it's not. It's there or it's not, you can't fake this. You can play games on a Friday and pretend, but there's no fire and you know it. So if you want a real fire, well, to burn hot for Christ, these have to be there. And this is no different you know, illustration with your marriage. This will be a brief one. But since the Young Married Church, it's worth exploring for just a moment. There are conditions that have to be there for you to have a marriage that burns hot. If your marriage is cold, then the conditions aren't right. Something is not in place. And so, for example, the spark. Well, what sparks you to have a hot marriage? What spark is... Seeing the value and seeing the beauty in your spouse. Seeing her as a treasure. Seeing him as someone who is valuable. You have to see the other person's value. If you don't, you're not going to have a hot marriage. It's not going to burn hot. And so it has to be sparked by seeing the value. But then you have to have the oxygen. Well, what is the oxygen for your marriage? Well, if you're a wife, you have to respect and affirm your husband. That is fanning The flame that is giving oxygen to your marriage is seeing your husband and then respecting and honoring, affirming him. Well, if you're a husband for your wife, how do you fan that flame, the oxygen? It's you have to know and treasure her. Search her mind, not just her body. You have to know her. Really see the value, treasure her. This is the oxygen that then you add fuel, add the logs. Well, what are the logs? What is a fuel? Showing it, intentionally showing how much you value him or her, that you're more concerned for his or her well-being. That matters more to you than your own personal comfort or agendas. Actions, serving. These are the logs that you're throwing on the fire, and then it burns hot. And so you have to have the spark, oxygen, and the fuel. If you have it, it'll burn hot. And it's the same thing with God. It is a relationship after all. It is. It's spiritual, granted. But it's still a relationship. We must pursue God. The conditions have to be right for us to have a healthy relationship with him, where we're satisfied in him, even in the face of death, growing old, and then ultimately of dying. And so what are these conditions that have to be in place? Number one, being satisfied in God while facing old age and death requires, again, number one, relentless trust in God. This is the first condition that has to be placed. This is the spark for your relationship with God. This is where it begins. This is where it starts, trusting in him. You see his value. You see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see that he is good. You see that he is faithful. You see that he loves you deeply. He died for you. He has forgiven you. You see that he is trustworthy. We see all that who he is in Jesus, and then we respond with relentless trust in him. Excesses chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And as you do not know the way the Spirit comes, to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In In the morning sow your seed, and that evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, this is poetic, so let's just keep that in mind. This is highly poetic, figurative language. But King Solomon, as God's Spirit inspired him, is describing trusting in God, and he's using agriculture as the example. And so what the image that you see here is of a man that owns a farm, probably a very large farm, because he collects the harvest. So he harvests the crops, it here bread. So he's harvesting his goods, and then he puts them on ships. He says seven or eight. So when he says, Put your bread, cash of bread upon the water. What he's describing figuratively, poetically, is putting your cargo, putting your crops that you have harvested, putting them on the ships in the water to send out these ships to go sell your, your product in other lands. And your profit won't come back to says for many days, because you sent it out. And so it could be a long time before the ship comes back with your profit. And there was great uncertainty. That's why it says here that you don't know what disaster may happen. And so the the ships could sink. There could be a storm in the sea. And so your ship never makes it where it's going. And so it says divided by seven or eight. So divided over multiple ships, hoping that you can still sell the majority and make a profit. Now, verses 3 and 4 describe similar context here with agriculture. He says that there's difficult things that you can't control, like bad weather that knocks down trees. And it says, heavens emptying out their water. And so, really bad rain that knocks down trees is very terrifying weather, difficult circumstances. It says, the farmer will look to the wind and he won't sow. And so, he could look and be scared and, and not fulfill his calling. He's a farmer, farmers sow seeds. But if he's looking at the circumstances that are terrifying, he won't do it. He can be afraid. So what we're seeing here is that we cannot allow disappointing, frustrating, difficult, or even painful circumstances to prevent us from doing what we are called by God to do. And then in verse 5, it describes this mystery of how God produces life inside of a mother's Womb. And he says, just like that is an incredible mystery how God creates life inside the mother, God is mysteriously at work in our lives. And he uses circumstances that are scary or hard or painful or confusing. And he uses it to display his glory through our transformed lives. And he's using it for our good. So whatever we're facing we have to believe that God is working it for our good. God is all wise. If he's allowing it to happen, he's going to use it for good. If there was another way, God would do it. But he's chosen this way. This is the only way. This is God's way. And he takes our brokenness and he creates Beautiful things in our lives. Verse 6 calls us, therefore, in light of these uncertainties and that which is unknown, but God is at work, he says, he calls us to show trust and don't withhold. Keep planting seeds. Keep doing what you're called to do. He says, don't give up. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. This is pointing all to Messiah to Jesus, And so when he says keep planting, saying keep doing what you're called to do, we know that this ultimately is fulfilled in Christ. And so keep looking to Jesus. When it's scary, keep looking to Jesus. When it's uncertain, you keep looking to him. When you're in pain, you keep looking to him. When your husband doesn't change, you keep looking to him. When your wife doesn't love you, keep looking to Jesus. When you have a really hard diagnosis, keep looking to Jesus. When the job market is uncertain, you keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We cling to him with this relentless trust, this ungiving up, this, this faith, this trust that doesn't give up that is unyielding, of faith that doesn't surrender, this kind of trust. Why? Because we have a God who loves us with a never-giving-up, unyielding, never-surrendering type of love. And so we look to our circumstances, and you know what that leads to? Despair. If we're looking at our circumstances, it will leave us in utter despair. But if we look to the character of God, that leads to hope. We continue to depend on our God by looking at the face of Jesus, not at disappointing or uncertain circumstances. Do you feel alone today? Do you feel like you're being crushed under the weight of your circumstances? Do you feel like you're just going to be crushed? You know, I was talking to my wife last night about how God allows things to come into our lives that, that can crush us. And she said it so eloquently. She said, you can be shattered into a thousand pieces. And yet then God comes and puts us back together, more beautiful than you ever thought possible. So that'll preach. I'm like, I'm going to use that because it's so true. We can be crushed and shattered, broken. And all God asks is that you trust him. How do I know that God is still in complete control and still good and still loves you? To the cross. Look no further. Look to the cross. And what you see on the cross is a sovereign God who is in complete control, who sent his son to die in our place in order to conquer death and sin itself so that we can be forgiven and have eternity with him. And he offers us this peace that cannot be manufactured. And so even with the fear of old age and death, we cling to our God with a relentless, not giving up trust. This is the first condition that we need in our lives. We have to trust. Number two, being satisfied in God while facing Old age and death requires, number two, relentless pursuits of joy in God. So a relentless, not giving up pursuit of joy in God. Verses 7 through 10, same chapter. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity." Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So verse 7 says that light is sweet, so it is good to see the sun. This is the same. The means is that life is a good gift. It's good. And God intends us to have joy in our lives. Like you read, rejoice for all of your many years. And so we're told here that life is good to rejoice. But the problem is that this world is broken. And because of sin and death, life is meaningless apart from God. That's why in verse 8, it says, after living, it says, many years comes darkness. So growing old and dying, he calls vanity. It can seem meaningless. And then verse 9 says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. He's saying, don't postpone living. Enjoy your life now. A lot of people are just waiting. Teenagers are waiting to get out of the house, to finally start living and enjoying life. Young adults are waiting to finally get married, to be happy, and to start living and have joy. Couples that are young and are married are just waiting to finally get pregnant and have children so that then they can be happy and have joy in their life. That one makes me laugh because having kids is a huge privilege and joy, but it It's also a lot of work, which is why a lot of parents that have kids can't wait for them to go to college and get out of the house. The reality is that all these are blessings. Being a teenager is a blessing. Being young, not married is a blessing. Being married with no kids is a blessing. Being married with kids is a blessing. Having your kids grow up and leave the house, that's also a blessing all every single life stage that you're in it's god's grace is there enjoy it don't live your life looking to the next phase don't live your life waiting for tomorrow or what's next I'm saying enjoy your life now right where you are enjoy it this is god's will But he says, as you're enjoying, end of verse 9, he says, remember that you're held accountable for how you live and what you enjoy. He says, God will bring you into judgment. There's accountability for how we live our lives. Verse 10 then says that youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So being young and strong in the prime of your life is fleeting. It's quick. It goes. It does not last. And so even young people can struggle with feeling meaningless. So in light of this, we are called to remove two things. He says remove two things. He says remove vexation, and it says remove pain. Now, some translations have the word sorrow or anxiety, and so, so vexation refers to grief, if you will, anxiety. Now, the word pain, that one, like the NIV, for example, has the word troubles, and King James and NASB have, have the word evil or, or wickedness. And, and so it's, there's a range of meaning. This word has a range of meaning from pain, evil, troubles. And the reason why is that this word is capturing that we have painful struggles with sin that are very troublesome to us. So the root of this is sin. Sin is Painful, is evil, and is troublesome. And so we're seeing here, take off anxiety and take off sin. So if you want to remember it, take off sorrow and take off sin. That's what it is conveying here. He says that we're created to enjoy life. We're commanded to enjoy it. But the problem is because of sorrow and because of sin, it robs us of being able to really enjoy our lives. Remember, this all points to Jesus, Messiah. So the only way to ultimately enjoy life, where you can lose your sorrow and you can lose your sin, only possible through Jesus. Only he can do that, and he will complete that when he returns and we are resurrected with glorified bodies, with no more sorrow and no more sin. Until that day comes, we keep trusting him, and we keep, pursuing joy in him so a relentless pursuit of joy now let's just be honest here's the truth we are all pursuing joy we can't help ourselves God has hardwired he's designed us to pursue joy we all want to be happy it's impossible not to we've been made to want to pursue joy But the problem is because of our sin, we pursue joy in things under the sun that enslave us and can't satisfy us. So we must pursue this joy in God himself. And it's the only way to walk in victory and to have our sorrow and our sin lessen. It's never going to be gone on this side of heaven, but we can walk in victory and walk it different and walk in in integrity and purity. So whether you are young or whether you are old today, ask yourself this. Am I relentlessly pursuing joy in God? Because if you're not, you're pursuing it somewhere else. This right here is the oxygen for your soul that allows your your heart to burn for Jesus, to burn hot, to be a white-hot worshiper for Jesus. This is the oxygen that we breathe in him, his presence and having our joy in him. Number three, as we move towards our conclusion, being satisfied in God while facing old age and death, number three, requires a relentless living for God. So a relentless trust in God, relentless pursuit of joy in God, and a relentless living for God. Let's read verses 1 through 8 in chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, Before the evil days come and years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. The desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Now this is again highly poetic. And so we need to try to understand that that this is poetry. So using this language is describing the pain of growing old. He's saying before you grow old, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Live for God before you're old. He's like, don't wait until you're old to live for God. And he uses language that's actually kind of comical. He calls evil days, so growing old and dying, calls it evil. He says the sun, light, moon, and the stars darken. He's talking about a loss of capacity as old people do lose their physical capacities. He says the keepers of the house tremble. He's describing poetically how your arms aren't as strong as they were when you get old. He says your grinders cease and are few. You lose your teeth when you get old. Your, your grinders fall out. He says that your windows are dimmed. Your windows, your eyes are dimmed. You can't see very well when you get old older he says you rise up at the sound of a bird old people wake up really easily the bird wakes them up they have a hard time sleeping at night and he says afraid of what is high older adults tend to be afraid of falling and so which is the next point he says like a grasshopper drags itself people that are older tend to not pick up their feet when they walk they tend to just kind of drag their feet and that's just because they're afraid to fall And so this is not desire, but this is the reality of getting older. And then he says, and desire fails. Even sexual desire begins to fail and your libido goes down. So this is not a pretty picture, but it's real. It says before you get old and you're robbed of your vitality, remember your God, relentlessly live for God. Verses 6 through 8 describe a broken pulley system to get water. So it's just like water gives life and you can't because it's broken. Eventually your life gives out. Vanity of vanities, he says, as, as your soul returns to God and your body goes back to dust. He says, then you die. So you grow old and then you die. So he says in verse 1, remember your God when you are young. Live for him. Obey him. Focus on him. Live for the glory of God with all of your strength while you still have it. Nothing else will satisfy. So as we wrap up, reminds of the main idea. God calls us to satisfy it in him while we face aging and death. Our world says, avoid it. Avoid old age. It stinks. But the Bible says, God has a purpose, even in your old age. You can still glorify God no matter how many years you have left. While you have strength in your body and and breath in your lungs, you live for the glory of God. And even when our lives are over, we know where we're going. This gives us hope to face whatever life brings us. So are you honestly trusting in God? And are you pursuing joy in him and living for him? These are the conditions. These are the spark, the oxygen, and the fuel that will let us continue to burn hot for Jesus. Living here is such a privilege. I've said it before this morning, but on this national day, we remember that living here in Abu Dhabi, in the UAE, is a privilege. He has brought together all the nations we're here for a purpose. You are not here by accident. Let us use this season of our lives in this place for his glory to reach this city for Jesus. We have a mission to accomplish. Whether you are young or old, are you fully engaged? May we be a church that lives for the glory of our King. Pray with me. Lord, we do worship you and praise you today. You are so good. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that even in this cursed world where we do grow old and will eventually die, we know that we have hope and meaning and purpose in you. May we be a church that reflects your beauty, your glory, your character to this city so that we can have more people come alongside of us and worship you for you alone are worthy. And we pray in the name of our first love, Jesus.